What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Peter McCormick is the host of popular crypto podcast, What Bitcoin Did. In this wide-ranging conversation, we cover podcasting, marketing, Twitter, and how to build brands in today's environment. We played a game during the recording where there was a $10 fine for anyone who mentioned Bitcoin or crypto, so you'll enjoy hearing that. You're listening to part one of two right now. When you're done listening to part one, head on over to What Bitcoin Did podcast to listen to part two. This was an epic two and a half hour recording, and we really enjoyed it. So I hope that you find it nearly as much fun and entertaining as we did. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hi, Pomp. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate this opportunity to speak with you on this wonderfully cold day in New York City. Yeah, thank you for having me over here. We've, how long have we been trying to do this? We've been trying to do this for months, yeah. and we're here. And there's more cameras staring at us and microphones in our face than I think we probably are used to. And we big shout out to Cody Vargas, <laughs> my twin. Do you know the story of Cody? I do not. Cody, what's your story? No, do you know how we met? Oh, no. How did you guys meet? So... Um, I was in Vegas for World CryptoCon, right. and everywhere I was going, people kept going up to me and going, say, all right, Cody, how you doing? And I was like, I'm not Cody, I'm Pete. <laughs> and then... Um, oh, you two do look... Yeah. Oh, you two do look alike. So, yeah. So we went to... And then I was at... It's like happened for like three days, and I was at all this right. party, and somebody says to me, all right, Cody, I was like, look, I'm not Cody, I'm Pete. And she went, oh, no, look, there's Cody. And he was behind me, so I went up to I was like, all right. Everyone keeps saying hi, Cody. And he was like, everyone keeps saying hi, Pete. So uh, he's become like, he's become my crypto twin. Yeah, you guys are doppelgangers. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, so all right. what should we talk about? Podcasting, man. I got all kinds of stuff. Let's talk, yeah, let's talk about podcasting. So I started a few months before you. You did. And I was having this really good run. <laughs> You're my idol. Well, I was having this good run. And then, like, say I'm driving, say I think I'm driving a nice BMW. <laughs> and that comes this... Ferrari behind me is like, I'm like, oh, great. And like, you've really crushed it, man. I, uh, I cheated. I uh, got to build it off your back. You're the one who convinced everyone they should listen to podcasts. And then I came along and was like, hey, if, uh, if you put some music in the beginning and just yell and scream a lot, they'll listen. And, uh, and, and now um, you are doing things that uh, I'm a huge fan of. I, I, uh, we were talking before we started and uh, the fact that you are so transparent about everything and, and take the time to literally list out, here's every single view, here's every single dollar, here's every single expense. Uh, I think that's how businesses are going to get built in the future. It's awesome. But I do everything right. I like, I book the interviews. Crazy. I travel to the interviews. I do, I, it's only these, the last two episodes that have come out, I haven't done the engineering. I okay. finally, because I've made some good money, yep. I've took an engineer on, which is going to yep. save me 40 hours a month. <laughs> I do all the website, I do all the publishing, but you, you've run in a business during the day, right? I, I literally said to uh, Blockworks groups, the guys, uh, Jason Janowitz and Mikey Polito, I said, look, I'm happy to do it. I think I can get people to show up. I think I can interview them. Uh, I don't have time to do all that stuff, right? And uh, and they said, uh, we, we'll figure it out. They didn't know how to do it, right? But it's, I mean, it's a, it's a first class lesson in you want to do something and somebody says, hey, here's an opportunity. I'm willing to do half. I need you to do the other half. And you don't know how to do it? Just say yes. Yeah, I'll figure it out. 
and they went and figured it out, and here we are. So how have you found it, man? It's like, uh, how many episodes have you done? I have no clue. Like 50? Yeah, probably like 50. What, yeah. what about you? Uh, 82. 82? 82 went out today. Andreas. I'm trying to uh, to catch up. Well, so that was the <laughs> other thing. I was like going along, coasting along an episode a week, and then you come and there's like two a week. I'm like, oh, God, now I need to do two to keep up. I, I only know one speed. That's been my whole life. It's just uh, if you're going to do something, do it, right? And uh, the part that I like is uh, there's people who I've interviewed and you've interviewed, and I actually enjoy listening to your interview with them because what I notice is my interview has a very specific bent on it, right? It's pretty much how do I get this person to explain what they're doing, uh, why they're doing it, how they're doing it for an audience that is intrigued and interested in crypto, but they're not the hardcore enthusiast, right? Fine, number one. You owe me $10. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's $10. $10. Um, And and so from my standpoint, how do you get – how do you get that to that audience? You got to get them to, to the guests to speak in a very specific way in a very specific, um, you know, kind of uh, perspective, et cetera. You get to go all out, right? You get asked about all the nuances and kind of the really detailed stuff. And so I actually learn a ton from yours that are questions I can't ask because they're too in the weeds. And so interesting. I, I, uh, I actually, that's my big secret is if somebody comes on, I'll listen to a couple of other people who have interviewed them because I'll learn uh, aspects about that person or their story that I right, can't get okay. to just given who the audience is. See, I find, I, I always say to people, mine is like entry level as well, like really simple because ah. I will listen to someone like Marty Bent mm-hmm. and listen to him talk about finance and I'm blown away by like his depth of knowledge. Or I listen to Stefan or Pierre, and yep. the, the things they know, the detail they know, is way beyond me. I just, I'm just not smart enough. Like I don't understand some of the things I'm reading or hearing. So when I go into interviews, I'm actually asking the questions about things I just don't understand. And also, sometimes I'm like, I'll see something, and I'm like, that just seems like like bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> and I just kind of want to ask it, but like sometimes I feel uncomfortable. It's like, am I not allowed to ask this? Yep. Like, shouldn't I ask this? But no, I just do it, and it seems to have worked. And Seems what, what, what's the number one lesson you've learned from doing all this? Uh, what, like life lesson or as a podcaster? Like both. One life right. lesson and one podcast lesson. Um, it's it's more of like it's not a new lesson. It's just like hard work pays off. Yep. Yeah, like really hard work pays off. I don't. Um, maybe they do because I talk about it, but like I work really, really hard at this. You yep. know, I do, and I don't have a choice. Right, I'm single dad. Yep. Uh, two kids. One lives with me full time. How old are they? Uh, my son's nearly 15. He's 15. Okay. So he came out to Japan with me for the Car Palace interview because I had nowhere for him to go. I was like, well, you want to come with this guy yeah. who may or may not have lost a bunch of money yeah. for people? <laughs> and he was cool and it was great to have him with me. But like, I had no choice because I had nowhere for him to go. Yep. Um, and I have to juggle that. And then, you know, my daughter's with me every other week. And How old is she? She's just turned nine. Okay. And... I can't go and get a job in London because I can't commute because I need to be at home. So I have to make this work from my home. Yep. From my home office. So I, I, I do 60, 70 hours a week. And I love it. I just, I just work really hard. So hard work pays off. Um, Marty Bent. Shout out Marty Bent, yeah. who uh, we'll probably talk about a bunch, who's got a, a podcast, uh, TFTC. Mm. And um, he said it to me. He said, look, the, the whole key is just show up every day. 
right? And and to you know the just work hard, show up every day. Like it's not really that big of a secret. It's just hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and you know, I made a commitment early on to do a lot of interviews in person. So mm-hmm. I flew out to North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, an area you know well to interview Lop, and I flew out to uh, San Francisco to interview Charlie Lee, and I and then I went out to Japan to interview Roger Ver, and I just put that commitment in to have that kind of difference, and then I just hustle, work hard, yep. hustle, work hard. So that's that's the biggest lesson I've learned. But it's more of a, like um. It's like a repeat understanding of a lesson. You just got to work hard. And then I think the thing that I've learned most about um, podcasting. Oh, God, what have I learned most about podcasting? I guess it's a really tough one. Um, I guess over time I've learned, I think I'd like to think I've learned more about how to interview people. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to someone like Marty, I want to hear Marty all the way through it because I really respect his opinion and I love the conversation. But I don't want to hear me on mine. I want to say as little as possible to get as much from the guest and hear them talk. So what I think I've learned most is how to construct an interview. And try, I try and make all my guests feel comfortable and, and like I'm not going to trap them and and then just try and get them to open up and, and talk. And I think if you listen to my first podcast and you you follow the trajectory, you'll see interviews. It changes. Get, yeah, get, I think, and I think that's just me getting more comfortable. I don't know about what, you. What, what um, do you tell guests in the beginning? Like, here's the structure. Here's no. what we're going to talk about. No. Uh, okay, so you don't do that. Uh, I I usually don't talk to the guest at all about what we're going to talk about until they're in the room. And I say, hey, like, are there things you want to talk about or things that you're not comfortable talking about? So I like I do let them set boundaries. Yeah. Um, which some people may not like and some people do like. Um, but to me, it's, I'm very clear that like, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a journalist, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, there's no gotchas. There, there's no, uh, there's no anything. Um, and, uh, I think that puts people at ease. Yeah. Right, because they're just like, okay, you know, Peter or Pompa aren't going to be here, and uh, they're not going to trick me, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, look, I, when I go on podcast, right, I'm like, uh, can I trust this person not to put me in a position where they're going to ask me something that's awkward or, or whatever, or can we just have a good time and, and talk about things that we want to talk about? Yeah, well, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and it was on Twitter, and they said, seeing that I'd interviewed Andreas, and they said, I hope you ask them all about this stuff. And that comes up occasionally. It has the same with Mark Carpellis. Yep. Somebody wanted me to ask him about something quite controversial. And I said, the subject you firstly want to ask about has got nothing to do with yep. what I'm going to interview him about. Secondly, I've spent a year trying to get this interview. And I'm flying out to Japan for it. It's not your agenda. It's mine. If you don't like it, I'm very sorry. Yep. But also... I think if you go around doing like hard hitting interviews and you really pull some people apart, you're going to struggle to get future guests on because they're going to be like, well, it's, yeah. it's different goals too, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, we talked about Marty, but like, let's talk about, uh, Laura Shin, right. Yeah. Another great, uh, podcast. And like, she is a journalist, yeah. right. And part of the, or, or a big part of the value that I get out of what she does is she will ask those questions, but I think guests go on knowing that's what they're there for, right? You're yep. going to get kind of a very um, unbiased journalistic approach. And uh, I'm sure that she, there's certain guests who are, you know, worried or, or uh, less likely to go on. But then there's a lot of guests who actually, that's what they want, right? They, you and I are going to, you know, be buddies with them basically and, and let them kind of tell their story. And that's great, but that's not a hundred percent of people. And so, you know, it, it, the beauty of this whole uh, ecosystem is everyone approaches it a little bit differently and you can bring the same person on four or five different podcasts and you'll literally get, you know, 30, 40% different content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's, uh, it's really fascinating to kind of watch it all develop. Yeah. And that journalism thing's really interesting because 
I've been told a few times I need to be more responsible and I need to be more impartial. And I said it's very difficult to be impartial because I've got a, I've got an opinion. And also, I find that I kind of find that funny, especially if it came comes from someone in, in America. Because whenever I come over here <laughs> and I watch the news, the news is either liberal or it's conservative. Of it's, course, it's hardly ever impartial. So, like, how do you get impartiality? And I'm not impartial, and I'm not a journalist. I'm not trained. I fell into this. I used to work in advertising, and you know, here I am. And yeah, I mean, do you get much flack for your interviews? Oh, all the time. Right. I look. I, I, I'll talk about it. Uh, we just had um, uh, Rick Burton come on, and he's great. Love Rick. High energy. Comes in. Came in at seven a.m. in the morning. Knocked it out. Uh, and there's people who are upset that I didn't ask specific questions or didn't push back, etc. And again, it goes back to what I tell every guest: is I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to debate with you. I'm not here to do any of that. What I'm here to do is there's a platform. I want you to tell your story in your words and then let people decide. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and it's just this idea of like, I don't know. I may, maybe you feel the same responsibility. Like, I don't think I should tell people what to believe or listen to. Right. Like, like yeah. you should tell your story yeah. and then people can believe whether you're full of shit or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I get that. And we got it the other night. You know, I was with uh, Catherine Wu. Uh-huh. We were in a From, bar. Uh, Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. Yeah. So we were, she came to the Hoxton. Um, we had wanted to catch up on a couple of things. And by the way, I think she's utterly amazing. And some guy, the bar guy heard us talking mm-hmm. and he came over to us and he said, um, I hear you talking about crypto. Can I ask you about something? And we're like, yeah, sure. Even. <laughs> yeah, but no, then the question comes out. It goes, what do you think of XRP? Ah. And I start cracking up. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm cracking up. And, um, you know, we have the conversation. It goes out on Twitter. And some guy goes, yeah, you just made that story up. And it's like, no, no, we didn't. <laughs> and then the funny thing that happened after that. So previously, I'd been talking to this uh, girl next to us. And she wrote on a beer mat to me her phone number. She was like, uh, if you want to have a drink another time, yep. here's my number, which was really cool. And yep. also like kind of brave because she inter- in- interrupted the conversation. Go, here you go. Anyway, Catherine goes and the beer mat's gone. And I'm like, fuck, yep. <laughs> this is gone. I mean, she was lovely. So um, I asked the barman, couldn't find it. The next day, he messaged me on Twitter with a photo. Oh, let me show you it. Oh, the phone's out. I'll show you it. He messaged me on Twitter, goes, I found the beer mat. Here's the number. Let's go. <laughs> so I put that up on Twitter as proof. But like sometimes I find myself always having to defend myself. And I'm of like, course. Oh, why? why? Here's the secret. Uh, somebody told me a very long time ago, um, and I forget who, I'm going to forget whose quote this is, but it's somebody who's important that I probably should remember their name. But their quote basically goes, um, you know, in your 20s, you're really, really worried what everybody else thinks about in like your 30s and 40s you realize that like you're not as worried anymore and by the time you're like 50 or 60 you realize no one ever cared about anything you were doing right Right? it's a little different when you've got kind of a public audience that uh feeds off each other um but there is the sentiment of like is the anonymous troll on twitter who is trolling right it's not it's not Mm -hmm. we just label multiple like they're trolling you is it worth engaging with them well part of your brand right and, and mine is being authentic engaging and and having that conversation but i troll the fuck out of you all the time <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> i'm literally whenever you post something i'm like because you know what you know what annoys me like i will put out a really authentic heart like heart story and i'll get like 500 likes you'll put out this bank sucks <laughs> 20 million retweets i'm like this is this bullshit <laughs> so, uh, so the the yeah. two people who i could always count on well there's a couple of people actually that I can count on trolling me at non-stop are you 
my girlfriend. And then uh, usually I will get either uh, Larry Cermak or uh, Frank Shaparo from uh, The Block. But right? there's, there's but good... everyone's doing it in fun. Yeah. But the part I love is the real trolls don't know that. Yeah. And then they like pile in and then we're all like, oh, wait, we were all kidding. <laughs> You're well, serious. Yeah, because it's good and bad trolling, right? Of um, course. I, I was trying uh, trolling Brian Selkis this morning. I've trolled him regularly. Uh, but I think... I think it's, it's a actually, badge of honor to be trolled by you. Uh, but no, no, God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I think it's. Um, I think if you can take the trolling, yep. I think it's a it's a good sign of you. But I also think it's like shows a community. We're all kind of in this together, and also it makes you responsible for what you're saying. If you're getting trolled, of course, you did something a bit dumb. Of course, and and look, part of uh, the beauty of Twitter, in my opinion, and why I love it so much, is I can throw an idea out there, mm-hmm. and if you don't come, you know, proper. You will get snapped up immediately. I mean, you, I've literally said things, and within two minutes, I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, it's being perceived incorrectly, or I literally said something inaccurate. Yeah. There is no pass. There is no, uh, you know, oh, we like you. It's okay if you say something that's out of bounds. Like, it, people do not care. Uh, and that responsibility and accountability is important, I think, when you have these big audiences. Yeah. And, you know, I had this conversation with somebody last night. It was talking about you. And I said, the thing is, Pomp's got a bunch of haters. Because he's out, because he's out there. He's the yep. man in the arena. But I said, he. My perception of you is that you're doing more than ninety nine percent of people out there for the space. You get a pass if you if you put out something dumb, you make a fuck up. And I think I think almost any of us do. None of us can people be perfect. know our intentions. Yeah, right. Like like once you've cre- if you create one piece of content, that's the only piece of content anyone knows about. They don't have enough context as to what is your perspective, what is your intentions, good hearted, bad hearted, all that. If you create content on a daily basis. You're constantly engaging. You're you're very authentic, uh, very open and transparent in, in the way you engage with people on Twitter. You probably get a quote unquote pass in the sense of they know that you're good hearted, well intentioned, but they will tell you right to your face, hey, you're an idiot. <laughs> right. But it's not that you are an idiot. What they really mean is you're saying something idiotic. Right. And then there's a difference between that. Yeah, um, you know, it's like, hey, look, that was dumb versus you are dumb. Do you do you feel pressure? Uh, I used to, and then I just stopped caring. Well, like at, at some point, I just said, you know, how many followers do you have on Twitter at this point? I'm at like, I'm just short of fifty thousand. Okay, so let, let's say fifty thousand, right? Which there is, is so weird. There, well, there's nobody <laughs> in the world who can have fifty thousand people paying attention to what they're saying and not have one of them not like you or yeah. disagree with you, etc. And the problem is that the people who disagree are the loudest. Yeah. Right? Like, think about if you say something and I like it, I'm going to retweet you. Yeah. So I will further the message, but I actually won't reputation-wise make a comment that says, this is great content. Right? <laughs> like, my action says that, but I don't step in and say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The quote-unquote hater what they're going to do is they're going to light you up in the comments and then all their friends are going to see that and then they all pile right so like the way that twitter is structured the incentives are a little weird mm. and so i think that's part of you just have a big audience of course people are not going to like you yeah i find it so weird though i do i went to see my dad my dad lives in this little village in ireland i think i was at like thirty thousand followers at that point and i showed him it i said dad look watch this and we put out a question it was like should my dad buy something yep and yes or no and it just like this poll starts going up and, and, and my, dad, my dad's going what is going on who are those people <laughs> this is so weird and i was like i don't know dad it's so weird so the, what what's the um what's your favorite interview you've done my favorite interview i've done 
It's got to be Murad. Right. Uh, uh, a moment in time, yeah. Just Murad was... Um, so here, you want to know a secret about the Murad mm-hmm. uh, episode? Is Murad came in to the office on, the, I think, a Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, I had done, I think, an interview right before, like two interviews before, and they'd gone over. And I only had a specific amount of time, right? Because I mm-hmm. got to actually have like a real job and, and do all this other stuff. And I knew that we were going to be really rushed. And I had like 40 minutes. And so we started. And within five minutes, I literally, we stopped. And I, I just said, no, 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 shut this off. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is going to be an epic episode. Let's come back this weekend when we have no time constraints. And we're going to go for as long as it takes to record exactly what you want to say. And uh, I think he was a little kind of freaked out. Like, you just, I came here, we stopped it, we're going to restart. And we came in on Sunday and we recorded. And it's like, you know, over an hour, I think like an hour and a half or something. And when we got done, normally people are, you know, that are in the room helping record and stuff are like, oh, that's a great episode. It was silent. And we all just like run and it was it was freaky. Mm. And we were just like, that was incredible. Yeah, do you know what? I remember listening to that one and, and sitting back and I was like, all right, Pom. Yeah, you know, you know that one. And <laughs> he right as well. it's all, he no. gets all the credit, right? Because he the way that he can articulate his ideas and the conviction he has in them, you feel it when you're listening to it. I think I always think it you need to. I think one can ruin it on their own. For sure. But uh, I think you need two people for, for a good interview because you need the structure. Yep. The questions and you need the answers. I mean, the, what's your favorite? That's a tough one. I I usually always say my first uh, interview with Lynn Albrick, which is Ross Albrick's mum. Yeah, and because that was a. Very, how did you get that? Let's talk about how you actually signed some of these people up. Well, I just approached her and I said, "I'm very interested in the story. Um, I'm going to be in Austin. I know that that's where you're based. Can I come and see you? Yep. Can I talk to you?" And she said, "Yeah." And it turned out the day we were recording was Ross's birthday. Wow. Day after her birthday. I didn't know that. And I filmed that. It was the first one I filmed. And it was a lot of prep because it was a personal story. It has nothing it whilst it's attached to what I normally interview about, it's got mm-hmm. nothing to do with your mm-hmm. smirk. It's like that game, isn't it? <laughs> um, it, it? it's attached to the story, but we didn't talk about it at all. We talked a personal story about, you know, family losing a son to the prison system. And it also made me realize like eventually I want a podcast which is broad. Yep. Which I've trapped myself with because of the name of my podcast. Um, but-, but but is that true? So I think about this a lot too. Could you not bring somebody on that's not related to the industry and still do an interview with them? And maybe you can only do it every once in a while. I think so. But I don't think people would judge you. No, I, I think you can sometimes. But also I noticed the no, the reality is the it's a, it's a business. I treat my podcast like a business and you have to look at the downloads. So I interviewed Andrew Torber from Gab. Yep. It's connected. It's 20% less listeners than a normal show. Oh, interesting. So, so I am, you know, and I'm interviewing, when I'm in LA, I'm interviewing Mark Weinstein, who was one of the founders of the Fire Festival, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be a fascinating interview. But I don't know where but, it'll go. But he's related to the industry a little bit, right? A little bit. It, well, de- definitely related and works in the industry. But what you're going to talk to him probably is less related. Well, yeah. And I've already had a pre-call with him. And I don't agree with some of his thoughts. And I don't even want to get into that. I want to find out about the fire Festival <laughs> because that's insane, right? That's an insane story. But um, you, you, want to hear, you want to hear a wild story? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say which one. I've got four brothers, so I won't say which one. Uh, but one of them. Uh, don't tell me you went. Well, so what he did was he has a buddy who basically got essentially free tickets, like $100 tickets or something. And so his buddy convinced him they were going down. Got to Miami, 
got on the plane, they were the first plane on the tarmac that got turned away from taking off. No way. So he didn't actually go. And then they're like, oh, we had to like find a place to sleep, whatever, to so get a hotel. And uh, he went out, had a great time with his friends for the weekend. And he calls me and he's like, everyone else's fire festival experience sucked. Mine was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. I mean, have you watched both documentaries? Uh, I've watched the one on Netflix. I haven't gotten through the one on uh, Hulu. Oh, no, no. no. Uh, uh, yeah, I did. Actually, I watched both of them. Yes. yes. It's very different perspective, right? Yes. And different people in both of them. Yeah. I think um... one of my friends is in it. Really? Seth uh, uh, Crosney, I think. Uh, the guy who, uh, William Finley, is the fake account. He was the one sending all the pictures. Ah. He lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Really? Uh, yes. Shout out Seth. And his claim to fame in that whole situation was all the media was citing him right. as William Finley. And he's literally like, this is a fake persona that I made up as kind of like an Onion style uh, character. So are you from Raleigh? Uh, I grew up there. So yeah. I've been there. Oh, really? Yeah. So when I went to interview Jameson Lop, yep. I think I've- Jameson I f- lived in Durham, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, stayed, I flew into Raleigh, okay. but stayed in Durham. And um, I, went, I went and shot guns. Oh. I shot my first ever gun. Really? Yeah. Did you go with Jameson? Yeah, he took me. Yeah, so yeah. It, He's I, the man. Well, yeah. So I, he was my third interview. Oh, so wow. So I reached out to him. And I said, look, I'd like to come and interview you. Um, and can you take me to shoot a gun? <laughs> Basically, it was just like this really weird request. I'm like, you must have thinking, who is this guy? Yeah. So He's, for those that don't know, Jameson is, um, he is Mr. Security mm-hmm. and uh, OPSEC. He, uh, he has literally moved himself to an undisclosed location in the world. Uh, and uh, he's written a bunch about how you can basically remove yourself from the digital world and, and traces of you. Uh, and he also loves guns and well, he's uh, from North Carolina yep. and, and just shoots machine guns all the time. Well, so I turn up at his house with all my recording gear Yep, and I go in the house and he's there organizing guns. Bear in mind, I've never even held a gun. Yep. There's these guns everyone Like, this is weird. You're like, oh, you, these are actually your guns. Yeah. Like, you're not just taking pictures on the internet. No, he had like a lot of guns. And then, <laughs> and so we did recorded the interview and then we went to get something to eat. And by the way, I was a vegetarian at the time. Wow. And he was like, right, we're going for barbecue. And I was thinking, I don't think I've got the heart to tell. Did he have the big beard and everything going on? Yeah, yeah, yep. And I was like, I don't think I've got the heart to tell you I'm a vegetarian. So I went and ate barbecue with him. Oh, you ate yeah. it even though you're a vegetarian? Because yeah, oh. I, I, was, I, was, I couldn't do this. And then and then we went and shot guns, which, by the way, I, I'm, I was blown away by the power of them. Yep. It's, it's crazy. not what you expect. And then I left and I was like, wow, that was an amazing – like a one of those days you'll never forget. And I'm really grateful to James. He's actually been such a great support of the podcast. He's helped me get lots of interviews and – like nobody go and pester him now, but he's just been a really great support. He, he is. Um, so he's one of the first people I met in crypto as well. Right. Just being uh, there, a um, a very uh, young, um, a very young kid uh, introduced us. And when we met, I remember talking to him and realizing this guy is in this for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. He doesn't care about 95% of the things that other people care about. He even believed so much at one point that he sold a lot of his possessions and went all in. At a time when, like, you had to be pretty crazy. You know what I mean? Like, no. 2013 is very different than 2017, right? Or 2018. And so it, it, it's uh, it's special that this industry has so many people like that in it. What do you like with guns? What, what's your view on them? Uh, so I was in the army for <coughs> yes, uh, I heard about this six recently. and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
uh, Ryan Selk has outed me. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad way, but uh, he, he recently tweeted this. And so uh, I literally spent a year in Iraq. Wow. Uh, and you carry a gun everywhere you go. Um, you what, do like a training with guns. Are you like, were you like just a foot soldier? Yeah. 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 And so uh, I probably have spent uh, a good portion of my life with guns for somewhat of a profession. Right. And uh, it, it's a thing where I'm of the view guns aren't good or bad. Right. Money is not good or bad. Um, you know, certain assets aren't good or bad how they are used or implemented or applied, that can be for good or bad uses. I think guns are like the perfect example because if you think about, um, let's say you're a good guy, I'm a bad guy. The world actually wants you to have guns, right? Yeah. They don't want me to have guns. And if the rules are reversed and now I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, they, now they want me to have the gun, not you. Yeah. And so it's a tool or, uh, or a weapon. It's just how they're applied. And so I think that that type of view uh, is really different, right? I, I think uh -huh. you've got to have shot a gun before, right, to understand that type of stuff. Um, and, and I always think about uh, when you're shooting the gun, you're not thinking like this is this dirty tool used by bad people because uh -huh. you're like you're a good person, right? Like I'm a good person. If I have this, then good and bad people can have it, right? You, you, you change your psychology, I think, a little bit once you're actually uh, – like um, initiated a little bit with it. Was okay. that what, what did you think when you shot a gun for the first time? I'm just scared how powerful it was. Really? Yeah. Like because, scared in what way? Because you see it in films and TV. Yep. You see somebody shoot a gun and it's like pop, pop, pop. And yep. you're like, okay, that's a gun. When you do it in a real person, it's insane how powerful the bullet flies out of the gun to the bag at the end of the room. Like I was just like, Whoa. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's scary. <laughs> Um, I, and it was a weird experience. It was kind of like going bowling because you had different lanes. Yep. There was a couple. There was family. Like It was kind of strange because I come from a country where we don't have guns. You don't see guns. Yeah, I, Is I, it illegal or well, it's just uncommon? It's uncommon and you have to have special licenses. And actually to say I've never shot a gun is a bit of a lie. I went clay pigeon shooting once and shot okay. a shotgun. But it's it's just not a thing in our society. But when I held it and I shot this gun, I was like, that is so powerful. And that scared me. But I also learned a lot about it. I, it's funny in North Carolina, I trust people with guns more than I do in LA. Why? Because it feels like it's part of the culture, mm -hmm. and therefore it's responsible. It, I don't. I don't know why. I just everyone I spoke to. It's there, like drinking in Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like I speak spoke to the girl behind the counter, and she's like, "Yeah, I've got thirty seven guns." I was like, "What?" <laughs> she's like, I've "Got thirty seven guns. I've always had guns. It's always been part of my life." You know, you felt like they're familiar, they're trained, they're educated, yeah. and they understand safety. Yeah, right. I, Intentions are different. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's a really funny thing, and I probably, I don't know if it's a stupid thing to say. I feel like I trust a gun with a conservative person more than I trust it really? with a Really? You think that liberal. there's like political uh, components to it too? It's, no, it's more – I think it's more cultural. I, th okay. I feel like there's a – like when I've been around America, when I've been into more conservative areas, I feel that there's like a conservative culture, which is mm -hmm. very much family, hard work, guns, <laughs> ro ro rodeo and country. Okay. And do you – so here's a good question for you because uh, you – aren't from the United States. Mm -hmm. When you come to the US, do you get the sense that 
take those cultural components you just described on the conservative side, do you get the sense that those don't exist on the other side or they're just less emphasized? Like, is it like a, a um, intensity difference or is it just literally binary? Like in some culture, some things exist and in the other uh, sides, they don't exist. Yeah, I think it's more binary. I just, I've spent a lot of time in, a lot of time in LA, New York, Vegas, and then I've spent a little bit of time in places like Texas and mm-hmm. North Carolina. I tell you what the interesting thing is, is I feel a lot of warmth towards the conservative people I've met. I don't agree with them politically. Mm-hmm. I would never vote for Trump. But, you know, when I went to Austin, I went to a rodeo. I, I met, there was, you know, a lot of kind of Republican people there, yep. really family orientated. You know, they were all there as a family. And I just, they felt like a lot of unity, felt like the, like, the family was a big deal. That's one of the things I've noticed. Like when I was in Durham and I stayed at this bar, I started chatting politics to these two guys. Yep. It was a useless conversation because I completely disagreed with everything they said about Trump. <laughs> but then when we started talking about life and family, I was like, I really like you guys. You know, they're out there hardworking for their family. Then I'll go somewhere like LA, and I've got a lot of friends in LA, but you've got a lot of like just over the top, you know, cosmopolitan, ridiculous people. And I'm just like, I, I don't feel any warmth to you. You're, you're going to love this. I have a friend who's a hardcore conservative. Okay. And he always says the same thing. He goes, ah, liberals are too smart to have fun. <laughs> and I think that like perfectly sums up the political spectrum in the United States, <laughs> right? Yeah. Literally this guy who he could care less about any intellectual topic that you and I would could debate, but he's just like, I just want to have fun in life. Right. And, and, and I think that a lot of people are like, that kind of summarizes a lot. <laughs> I've got really politically confused over the last few years to the point where I, I can't find myself aligning myself to anything because I see things I like across the spectrum. But do you don't you feel like that's rational? Yeah. Right. Like. Um, yeah, I do. I, I I just feel like the older you get, and especially the culture that you and I are growing up in, like we have phones in our hands where we can talk to tens or not or hundreds of millions of people. Right. You literally right now could pull up your phone and tweet to fifty thousand people like that. Yeah. Right. My parents didn't grow up with that. So the collision of different ideas and the kind of like attrition of ideas that we experience on a daily basis, it pulls people, I think, from the extremes more towards the middle uh, because you at least are exposed on a higher frequency to other ideas uh, as long as you don't get – you don't go like over the edge into one of the eco chambers, right? Like that's the only downside to it is – it would be very easy for you. Let's say that you're like, I'm a hardcore liberal. I'm only going to follow liberal accounts, and that's the only information you consume. Mm-hmm. You actually like it. Actually, could become a detriment. But I feel like for most people, uh, you actually get pulled more towards the middle. I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I think you're right. And actually, funny enough, when I was growing up, I was very liberal. I, okay. I, I quite like socialist policies. I used to think, oh, the NHS is great, and if you earn too much money, yes, it should be taxed for you and given to you know other people. And, and I think it's – I find it kind of strange if you don't grow up feeling like that. You yep. know, like where's your heart as a youngster? And then as I've got older, I've started to feel like, oh – and, you know, of course, the industry I work in, you start to feel like, oh, God, socialism's awful. It's like the most evil thing in the world. And then I'm like, oh, I kind of want to help people. <laughs> it's really what, weird. What's the most defining experience from your childhood that you think is a great example of like who you are today? Like one uh, story from your childhood. Let's say like – under 20 years old. My my father worked. My okay. father worked hard. So my father was an, um, an aircraft engineer, shift worker, 12-hour shifts. He wanted us – the most important thing for him was for us to go to a private school. Okay. His salary alone could not put 
Yep, me. My sister didn't go in the end uh, but for choice, but me and my brother went. His salary alone did not cover the school fees. So he it was his shift patterns, four days on, four days off. Okay. And every single time an overtime would come up, he would take it. Mm-hmm. It was paid more. You paid like time and a half or something. Yeah, time and a half. Every now and again, something would come up called the ghost shift, which is 24 hours. And he would do it. And he worked and he worked and he worked. And he put me and my brother... And he raised three of us very well, but put us both through private school. So and he's probably very proud of that. Yeah, he's very proud of it. But like, but he, he just said to me, "If you ever have children, I want you to do the same." Mm-hmm. And it's one of those weird things. Also, like, like so, my children are in a private school, mm-hmm. um, and I work very hard to do that for them. And I feel very sad that not everyone else can have the same. And yep. It's sort of like a tough thing. But I just have this memory of, you know, my dad would be either leaving for work at six in the morning so he'd be gone by the time I get up or he would be leaving at six o'clock in the evening because he does the night shift, yep. you know, turning the planes around. And uh, so my memory is always him, uh, us three kids running to the door to give him a hug goodbye or running to the door to give him a hug, hug coming home. home. Yep. So I've just always got that memory of my dad working hard. I'll tell you another component I'll add to that though. Like I, I woke up, I, sorry, I grew up with my dad as my hero, right? Yep. Totally ignored everything my mum did. Took her totally for granted, raising three kids at home. My dad was the fucking hero, right? Um, my mum passed away two years ago, um, an amazing woman. What happened was is I got divorced prior to her getting sick mm-hmm. and decided I would be committed to my children and being a, a dad. Through that period, I learned how hard it is to raise children. It's really, really hard. That's fascinating. Yeah. And what happened was my company collapsed after my divorce and – I decided not to go to back for work for a year. And I spent a whole year just going back and forth to Ireland, see my mum. I'd mm-hmm. take her to her chemo and just hang out with her and take her to dinner. And I kind of fell in love with her as a woman over that period because I got to know her again. And, you know, about two months before she died, I, you know, I apologized. I said, look, I didn't appreciate how hard work, how hard it was for you to raise kids until I'm doing it now. And I've taken you for granted and given dad all the credit. And I'm really, really sorry about that. So, sorry, that's a long-winded answer to, to your question, but... I think I, I think from my childhood I've learned about hard work, but I didn't want to leave my mum out of this because yep. I've left her out of so many things that I feel terrible about. I've learned as an adult how hard my mum worked. Do Do you think that you are a better father today because of the experience of that year where you said, "Look, I've got to do this. I've got to commit to it," and it was your sole focus, or do you feel like? Um, but like, do you think there's another way that you could have gotten the same experience? No, I. I mean, I don't think I am a great father. I'll be honest. Wait, why not? I think I, I think I'm all right. Like, I'm a fun dad. Um, I'm gonna interview one of your kids next. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 you know what? They look. I have a good good relationship with them. Um, I had a very bad breakup with my ex wife. Like, awful, the worst that you could possibly go through. And they've been exposed to too much through mm-hmm. that process. And I wish I'd handled it better. And I feel terrible about that. And I, th- I think how I handled it hasn't helped. But I do think I'm a, a I think I'm a good dad. I give them a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. I uh, Laura Shin influenced me here. Did you see her TED talk? I did not. No. So she talked about when she was growing up, she didn't have any rules in the house. They could do what they want, and that shaped them. Wow. So I went home that day. I was like, kids, no rules. You can get a bed when you want, eat what you want, do what you want. Strangely, it worked very well for my daughter and not my son. Okay, explain this more. Because I grew up in a family with five boys, so I'm very fascinated oh. the difference between a daughter and a son. She, she, her bedtime is half eight. 
she first night she stayed up really late and then she was really tired so she started putting herself to bed between half eight and nine because she knew she had to be up for school very responsible very responsible she was eight at the time she would get up get her school uniform ready she sets her alarm like sometimes she wakes me up or like i wake up and she's in front of me she's like get up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like it totally works for her she owned the responsibility just not work for my son because he stays up till two in the morning playing Fortnite. yep of course I did trap him with it, though. Like, one day I was like, I just didn't get him up for school. And he woke up at nine. He's like, Dad, I'm meant to be at school. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, why haven't you got me up? I was like, it's no rules. You chose to stay up till two in the morning. It's just not worked with him. I think the difference, I've noticed the difference is, is that I think girls are a little bit more organized when they're young and boys are a little bit more dopey. Do you think that that is, uh, I don't want to say genetic in the sense of, but like, it, it's a natural tendency or do you feel like there's some conditioning at very early stages that uh, like you know what? i'm kind of nervous to answer this because i feel like if you ever try and identify anything that may be like gender difference uh-huh. you'll get attacked it's almost like this all right whole, don't answer it i, no, but you know I, what I don't, I, mean? like, I don't want to get attacked either no, but you know like there's like, this whole thing at the moment about trans athletes and I've, i don't know about this what is this it's about um i've been reading the news about female um, I, I, I'm even nervous about getting my terminology wrong. Okay. Like female trans who are now going through hormone replacement therapy and competing with in women's sports. Okay, and there's okay. a whole is this is this right? Is this wrong? And people are saying, look, this is wrong because you know you've got oh, the physiology are, of a male. They're upset about the sensitivities around the treatments, the gender, etc. No, it's more like you've got somebody with the physiology of a man going mm-hmm. through gender, um, whatever the thing is. Um, gender reassignment uh, or hormone replacement therapy and then competing with females but still having some of the physiology of a male and some people are saying if you're saying this isn't allowed you're being discriminatory and other people are saying well hold on this is unfair we've got gender differences in sport for a reason Mm -hmm. so I'm always really nervous about stuff like that because you can be attacked from any direction but I'm I'm a believer that uh, it's funny to hear the thing about Laura Shin and and your kids let people do what they want kids need boundaries horrible advice (laughs) give the freedom to be themselves (laughs) all right so well here's here's what's funny so let's let's go to the uh the rules thing Uh, i grew up with four younger brothers i'm the oldest of five boys there was it would have been a nightmare for my parents to say no rules i'm the oldest how much responsibility does that come with uh as a kid um well, here's the best way to describe it. So one of the situations or stories that I would tell as like defining of my brothers and I is my brothers and I would literally, uh, when we get home, we name a thing we fought over it. <coughs> Food, the remote, uh, who's looking at who, uh, you know, I heard you said something or literally just I'm walking by you in the hallway and you're not paying attention, and I just whacked in the stomach, right? I mean, just like anything you could think of, five boys, you can imagine, right? We're all eight years uh, from oldest to youngest, so we're all very close in age. Just madhouse in terms of what so we want to do Five boys in eight years. Yes. My mom's an, an She's absolute a hero. angel. So I had the opposite experience where we spent all the time with my mom because my dad uh, traveled for work. So he was gone basically Monday through Friday. So I had to take care of us, and very similar thing, right? Like, why didn't my mom do this? Why didn't my mom do that? <laughs> right? Or, or you know, like, of course she did that. Like, she's my mom. Um, and only when we got older did we start to really appreciate it. Um, but, but the thing that uh, I remember as kids is there are very specific points in almost every single one of my brother or I's uh, school experience where the day before, knockout, drag out fights that you would expect brothers to have. The next day, 
somebody outside of my brothers would say something, push one of the, you know, something happened where it was an attack from the outside, immediately the five of us, you don't want to mess with us, right? <laughs> and it's just like, look, I can punch my brother, I can yell at him, I can, you know, because I can do whatever I want to him, he can do whatever he wants to me. Don't even come over here because you're not going to get one of us, you're going to get all five of us. And I think that like some of that is my mom knew like, hey, I'm going to like teach you guys this stuff. And uh, my favorite story as a kid is my mom got mad at me one time because uh, I was on a school bus um, with my brother who's right underneath me. And uh, they used to play this dumb game where uh, the seat, they would like slap each other's hands and he broke his finger. Right. Like somehow like, you know, he hit it and right, bent okay. it, whatever. He broke his finger. Complete accident. Nobody was even like upset. He thought he like jammed his finger or whatever. He goes, doctor's broken. And I'm talking like broken, like it's like sideways. And my mom was so mad at me because she looks at me. She's not mad at him. She looks at me and goes, what did you do? And I was like, what do you mean? What did I do? Somebody broke your brother's finger and not like wow. go beat him up, right? This person who did it. But did you defend your brother? Did you stand up for him? Did you help him? Right. And it's little things like that where I, I think that uh, m- like mothers do that instinctively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look and it's just like time and time again, things like that. Uh, and it's fascinating. Right. Because my brothers and I are very close today um, and I'll see them and I'll greet them with, you know, what's up, idiot? How often do you all get together? So uh, it's unfair because uh, all five of us live uh, within 25 minutes of New York City. Wow. And so we, you know, we hang out as much as we can. Uh, um, I have a beautiful girlfriend. Uh, Another one of them is married. I have two younger brothers who uh, are uh, 23 and 25 and- you know, they're doing things that 23 and 25 year olds are doing and uh, and uh, probably a little too old at this point to go out every night and do all that kind of stuff. But they're having a time of their lives. And I, so. I met your girlfriend last night. She's beautiful. Yeah. And she seems great. She seems like she's totally got your back. She uh, she's smarter than me. She's tougher than me. And uh, and actually, uh, she's an immigrant. So she's from uh, Bulgaria. Oh, right, she came okay. to the U.S. And uh, it's fascinating to hear just the difference of mentality, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's part of look, part of this whole industry is. People are everywhere, right? I mean, I, I literally on a daily basis get to talk to people all over the world with different experiences, different perspectives, different belief systems. And you're like, you know what? This is pretty cool. Like everyone mm-hmm. is um, collecting around a single idea that, you know, it, without overblowing it can change the world and is changing the world. Okay. So what's the one interview you want to get? Who have you got? Like, I want that person. Oh man, there's a bunch. Uh, I'm gonna list three, but for okay. three different reasons. Okay, right. But after I list one, you have to go. Okay, okay. And then That's we'll right. go back and forth. Uh, so one of them that I absolutely <laughs> want to do is uh, I want to interview Joe Rogan. Interesting. So he he always interviews everybody. Yeah, ain't right. I. And uh, I think it would be fascinating to because uh, I think that the way that he is very conversationalist. Um, there's times where I'm listening to him interview somebody and I'm like, oh, I wish that they would immediately turn the question back on him. So I think that would be a fascinating thing. And you could, and he has such a breadth of topics that he could discuss everything from, you know, economics to aliens, to drugs, to politics. I mean, he could, he could yeah. talk about it all. Yeah. Right. And then he has. So I think that would be like my number one thing would be to interview him. Wow. Okay. What about you? I think, you know, my number one. Who? Zabo. Oh, I why? Thought- I just find him fascinating um, because I think to to interview him, I'm going to have to do so much preparation 
because his kind of the things he writes about are another level. Like I had with Peter Todd, it was just like, whoa, I thought I got him. You know, when oh. I threw the, remember I threw the yes. bait out? Yes. Like that was a whole day of planning. Like, how am I going to reel him in? Watch this. Yeah. If you guys are watching right now or listening uh, to this podcast, go and tweet at Nick Zavo and no, tell him he no, has no, no. to go on Peter's podcast. No, don't. Do you know what? I don't want people to do that because uh, I think if he wants to come on, he'll come on. He'll come on naturally. And that'd be fine. Right, but I right, definitely right. don't want him pestered to, you know, because I'm sure he gets asked all the time. I would hate for him to be like. You don't I, want him to be pressured. No, I don't. If he wants to come on, great. You know, I've been trying to gradually get everyone from. That like the history of the old days back, uh, you know, I did Whitfield Diffie on yep. cryptography, which was like insane. And how did you get that? I think that counts. You're at um, two, by the way. I'm at two. <laughs> Shit. Um, I reached out to him. No, no. Actually, what happened was I interviewed David Chow. Okay. It didn't work out. It just it was one of those interviews that just didn't. And we I decided not to publish it. I discussed it with David, and he was fine. And I said to him, "Can you introduce me to Whitfield?" And he did. And I met up with Whitfield, and he was great. And it was a great interview. That's awesome. And I, I do, I'd like to interview Ralph Merkel. Like, so I want to get everyone. I want to almost have done the complete history, and Zabo's part of that. So hopefully, in time, that will happen. That will be happening. But that's my number one. Okay, what's your All number right, two? Number two, Chamath Papapilia, who uh, he started the uh, the growth team at Facebook. Um, he is a a part Didn't owner. You work there, uh, I did. Do you yeah, know him? Yeah. Uh, I do not know him, but uh, he has agreed on Twitter actually to do it. Right. So um, we're we're, we're going to coordinate it. But uh, the reason why I want to interview him is uh, he's into all of the um, kind of decentralization, et cetera, right? And so, so I think that that would be pretty fascinating. Uh, he's very specific and unique views on social media and a lot of the way that we communicate and probably have built audiences and things like that. Uh, but the the most fascinating part to me is he is a guy who appears from the outside to have reached uh, what I call total freedom. And the freedom has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with lifestyle. It has everything to do with the mental position. I don't care what anyone else thinks. And it is a very um, careful line to walk in that it can be perceived as arrogance, egotistical, narcissistic, right? Kind of like all the negative side effects. But it is very freeing for the individual. Okay, and so walking that line around a lot of topics, and, and he's very public about, I don't care what anybody thinks, right? Uh -huh. Which also like compounds some of the negative side uh, uh, perspectives, but also is probably even more freeing. Um, to me, that is, uh, that's a fascinating just area to think through of mm -hmm. like, you know, I always ask people like, what's your goal? And almost everyone that I ask that question to, uh, I usually ask it in private because it's a very personal question they will tell me something that is measured by status or amount of wealth, et cetera, right? It's like a measurement thing. Mm -hmm. When people ask me this, and I took this from somebody else, happiness, something that is completely undefined and personal to you. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, like what does that mean to you? For a lot of people, it actually is freedom and how you define freedom. And like, you can just go down this whole rabbit hole. And the next thing you know, you probably spent two hours talking to somebody and you're like, I not only don't have the answers, I actually have more questions now. Yeah. And those are the conversations that are fascinating to me. Wow. Okay. That's a good one. What's yours? I hadn't really thought beyond one. I only have, but I tell you, but, I can I can come up with them. Um, come on. I, don't no, you I listen? Tell you, I can, All I do is great questions. Well, I tell you what. So <laughs> there's a guy, there's a newsreader guy, a news reporter guy in England called John Simpson. 
Okay. And I'd really like to interview him. And I tell you why. It's kind of funny. So I really like the news and I, I do like journalism. Yep. And he's one of my favorites, right? Yep. But actually what happened was when we were kids um, and I was about eight at school, we were all told we had to go and write a letter to a famous person. Okay. Pre-internet, you know, that world that my kids don't realize existed. So I wrote to John Simpson and I was like, have you ever been in jail? Were you scared? <laughs> he wrote back to me. Really? Yeah. And he's like, um, like I can't remember the job title, but he's something like head of reporting for the BBC, right? He is their top guy. But anyway, I don't know, don't know what it was back then, but he wrote back to me. So I'd like to interview That's him. That's awesome. I've actually wrote to them because I'm, I'm at some point going to do another podcast. I'm going to do a broader non- okay. Do you know yeah. what, yet what the focus will be? I think it will be like, you know, news, current affairs, you know, um, kind of edgy topics. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, so I've already done a few interviews. I interviewed a guy who was put in prison in uh, Panama. He was from New York City. By mistake, ended up in a scary-ass prison. Wow. Yeah, I uh, interviewed a lady who campaigns for um, freedom of choice with drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to interview John Simpson about kind of news and current affairs. They actually replied and said he would do it this year at some point, which is amazing. That's awesome. So, yeah, I, I would like to do that. What's your three? Uh, my third one that I would want to do. You know what I actually want to do? I want to go somewhere in the world so this is i just call this the like faceless interview i want to go somewhere in the world where you know nobody just um so so i'll give you context on this uh my brother who's right under me and i for a couple of years in a row every christmas we would um like on the 20th let's say we would sit down we'd get on our computer and we would say where do we want to go no plan no anything and we would pick a place in the world we would buy a flight we had to leave within 24 hours of that flight, right? Of whenever we sat down, it had to be within 24 hours. We would fly there. One of the rules was we could have no lodging figured out. So the first year we ever did this, we flew to India, landed in India and didn't have a hotel, didn't have a plan, didn't have anything. India's wild, right? We landed at midnight <laughs> in India, uh, in uh, Mumbai, and we had to figure out what to do. Yeah. Well- your phone may or may not have service, right? The Wi-Fi. I mean, you got to figure all this stuff out. And so it was somewhat of like a kind of a, a fun thing for us to do together or whatever. And so we got a hotel, right? Then we figured, okay, then now that we're there, that's the first time we ever looked. Well, what are the things to do in this city? And you ask around and like, and you kind of work thing. And we spent two weeks in India and we went to like seven, six or seven different cities. Wow. And, uh, you know, we did things like um, we went to uh, Jaipur, India, which is um, a pretty small area in, um, in India. And we rented motorcycles. Amazing. And I had a motorcycle. He had never driven one before. So imagine being in Jaipur. There's no traffic line. Like it's just crazy. Wild, Everything right? you see in the videos, yeah, right? Yeah. And he's driving a motorcycle for the first time. So like kudos to him for just, you know, he just tackled it. And so what I'd love to do is go to like in that type of environment and you just find a random person and you interview them and you say, explain to me your perspectives on. And it's like every topic that you could think of. Yeah. And then you basically publish it and you're like, this is a person who lives in this village in this country who maybe doesn't even have internet connection or maybe has, Mm. you know, 5G or, you know, whatever it is. And you just kind of go through the whole thing. And then you just see like this is a compl- this is somebody who lives on the same planet as you who thinks completely differently. India is one of my favorite places I've ever been to. It's just wild and so different. I don't know about you. I'm like I'm not religious, right? But I think if I spent enough time in India, I could be convinced because they just has. Do you know what I mean? You have got a feeling there's like something. Oh, it's going like on. the holy land. Yeah, right. Like in, like you you feel like 
There's something going on There's something here. going on there, isn't it? That's what I felt. All right, third what, one. What's your third one? Oh, God. Third one. I'm going to just pick a random, like, just just something that I think would be super interesting is um, uh, uh, I'd love to interview someone like Axl Rose. Oh, wow. Because, like, it was the first band I saw live. I'm, yep. a, like, a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Um, I, when they reformed, I took my son to Vegas. We went to see them. Yep. I think I'd like to do that. Yeah, I think I'd just... Cause, cause well, he's, what would you ask about? Oh God! I would ask about. I'd, I'd like to ask a lot about the creation, the music creation process, because mm-hmm. actually, what I can, from reading their books and seeing the breakup, I think everyone else was getting so smashed on drugs, and he just wanted to create this these albums. And I think in so I controversially prefer Usual Illusion One and Two to Appetite for Destruction. Everyone loves Appetite, and Appetite is yep. amazing. Every single song's great. I just think. Some of the best songs in Usual Illusion 1 or 2 are mind-blowing. I think Coma and Estrange, which are both like 10, 11-minute songs, mm-hmm. are phenomenal. They're like masterpieces. It, to me, it's almost like modern like um, like modern Mozart, right? It's just yep. absolute masterpieces. And actually, cool, they never used to play those songs live. On, when they reformed, they now play them. So I've heard them. Like, and I, So I'd like to ask him about the music creation process and what it meant to him. He tried to do it on that Chinese democracy, and you could see what he was trying to do. I just think he didn't have the formula of the whole band. But yeah, it's just like, a, I've, got, I've got a deal with my kids. So my kids want a dog. <laughs> and I said, the deal is you can have any dog you want, but we're calling it Axl Rose the dog. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it, it's funny to hear you say this because, um, it, it, is it Kanye, I think, that says, uh, name me a genius that's not crazy, right? And, and it, I think music is probably one of the best um, ways to look at this in that Pretty much every single great musician, lyricist, just creator like that, they're a little, quote unquote, off by society standards, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's the way they think, the way they act, the, the way that they perceive what's, you know, okay to talk about, not okay, you know, whatever it is. But it always makes me think that's true across every industry, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, I would actually argue the reason why you are great at recording the podcast and the approach you take like some of the things you do is crazy right by everyone else's standard but you think that they're normal like, and i actually look at it i'm like of course like the idea of like being fully transparent about everything you're doing okay there's a lot of people who are like that's crazy okay and you're like why would you not do this right like, yeah. like actually this like makes a ton of sense yeah. and i look at it, i'm like that actually makes a ton of sense right <laughs> yeah and there's probably things that i do that you look and you're like that's crazy, right? Yeah. And, and so you kind of it, – it's almost like um, the people who push the edge, they have to break out of that main mindset. And music is like the perfect example. Well, I like it how Melton put it. She put, She's like, I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I want, I want, I'm trying to be that hardcore. I'm not. But I'm like, yeah, I've got tattoos. I like – Heavy metal. I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to wear a uniform for anyone. I'm just going to be me and do, do yep. what I want. I like the music comparison because I had this conversation with somebody the other night. I was like, "What was the last great album? Like, in 20 years' time, people are still going to be talking about it and listen to it." And there's loads of albums from my childhood you can think of, like classic mm-hmm. Elton John or Guns N' Roses, everything, right? But like modern albums, and I, I think the last great album was by Amy Winehouse, "Back to Black." Ah. I don't think there's been a great album. There'll be albums of people put out and go, this is amazing. I'm going to be like, I don't think people in 20 years will be talking about that album, but I still think they're going to be talking about Back to Black mm-hmm. because it was a phenomenal album. And Do I you don't think, think that those get better with time? Like like there's this belief that they were good at the time 
And then now, 20 years later, we're like, oh, that was, you know, that was an all time hit. And it's because 20 years has gone by. Maybe. I think also one of the other things is I, I think it's controversial, but I think music is better when people are off their face on drugs making music. You go back and you listen. A lot of the best music was made by people smashed on drugs. But, but I think this goes to the point of what do the drugs do? They release a lot of the, the inhibitions, right? And, yeah. and they, you know, I, I think a lot about, um, there, as a human, there are uh, real rules is what I call it, like real world rules, right? Yeah. If you kill somebody, you're going to jail pretty much in any country in the world, right? Like that, mm-hmm. is, that is a rule that we as humans have all agreed off limits. Then there are society rules, which means that if you walk down the street and you just flick off a random person, everyone's going to be like, that guy's an asshole. There's not repercussions in the sense of you go to jail, but you do that enough times and you become known as that person, you kind of get put in society's jail, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of you're an outcast. Then there's like the personal rules. And it's things that usually I find you believe you wouldn't do or you wouldn't test that boundary or you've never been put in a situation to test a boundary. And and a lot of times it's mental. It's the way you think. And I think most of these music creators, et cetera, like when you – hear them give interviews and they talk about like being on drugs, not on drugs, whatever. They feel like they're like escaping to something. You know what I mean? Like, like it's very weird how mm-hmm. they describe it. Uh, and then you look at like Steve Jobs, same thing, right? Like, like breaking out of those boundaries. And so again, there's real world rules and repercussions and all this stuff. But, uh, it- but this is why we have corporate governance, right? Because corporate governance allows companies to set the like, the things that can't be legislated for, the things they're going to do for the morality of the company, right? That's yep. why you have corporate governance, you know. And that's, I think, I think we do that in life in different parts because, like, for example, you can't legislate perfectly for global warming and green policies, but companies will put their own policies in place. So I think that's why we have kind of different forms of governance, right? For sure. Well, and also there's again real governance, and then there's like you and I as friends. There are certain. Um, rules that we either intentionally agree on or just over time as we become friends i have certain expectations of you you have certain expectations of me right and if you ever do something i don't expect and in, in, in a negative way well, hey, violated the rules right yeah. but let me ask this uh talk to me about how you think about marketing in terms of um part of building a podcast yeah. is the creation process right so you got to Find interesting people, realize that you have things to talk to them about, book them, get them logistically in the same place or remotely, uh, record, right? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously um, a, a task. Got to clean up the audio. You got to kind of get it all ready to go. And they got to distribute it. That dis- distribution part to me is fascinating because I think a lot of different people take different approaches to it. And in certain industries, you have certain tools like Twitter that mm-hmm. are available to you where, you know, again, uh, in a heavily regulated place like healthcare or finance, they probably actually can't use some of the platforms that you and I would use. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, the most important thing is brand from the very start. It okay. was like, what is my brand and how is my brand represented? I very, by by design and by purpose, went for the pink and the black <laughs> as two very strong colors yep. that I knew in terms of banners would stand out. And I designed those banners in a way because I'm very consistent. So people would see them over and over again. They'll go, okay, what is this? I keep seeing. And then part of the brand for me was the guest. I was like, I have 
worked so hard to have good guests. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've worked really hard. Like, I don't think people understand how much goes off on the background. So when I put out those income reports, some of it's to help people, um, some of it's to help myself be accountable. But as the money's been going up, people have been getting in touch and saying, I really want to do a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I'll help you. Let's get on Skype. Let's talk about it. But you have to realize how much work goes into this. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my first 25 interviews were all in person. I was on a plane every two weeks, every week with my kids, then on a plane to go and interview somebody and doing everything else. But, yeah, for me, it's all about brand. And I play more of a I – th I think I play a different game to you. Um, I play more of – so I'm playing a long game in terms of trying to establish what I think is a – very credible Bitcoin podcast and a very strong brand around having. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, a very strong brand around, um, but around that and about the guests. So that that was that was what I was. Um, so that's that's what I've tried to do, and less so in terms of you know pushing my Twitter. And plus, also on Twitter, I just struggled to be professional. Like I can't. I just. I'm a troll. I'm sarcastic. So rather. But I think that's good. Yeah, but sometimes it gets me in trouble. Like, like what? Well, like just people out here sometimes don't understand it. So, for example, my profile is a troll of you. Do you remember that thing where you put out a list of jobs titles? Yes. So I made that my profile. So it says I'm a tech titan. 15 years in uh, evangelist guru Instagram. Oh so man! So I put that as my. But and it says also it says but like. I also say so it says Tech Titan and Mommy Blogger, Lord of the Dance, right? It's like this I love format. it. I love it. The amount of time people come to me and like, you're a fucking idiot. You think you're an evangelist? And I'm like, look, it's a joke. <laughs> it, says, it says Mommy Blogger. And that's how I got Andreas on. So what happened was, and uh, there was like, a, I've been trying to get Andreas for a year, right? And this kind of meme was going, thread was going on Twitter. And Andreas replied to it. And I was, and it was a picture of a big hairy ass and he replied and i was like andreas i've messaged you twice from your website i've been trying to get hold of you for a year and you haven't replied yet you replied to a big hairy ass and he comes back to me and goes it's probably because you're an ico advisor and i want nothing to do with you and i was like no my profile's a joke and then all these people were coming in going no andreas you need to check him out like his his podcast is serious a week later he's on that's amazing but, but it, it gets me in trouble because people so a lot of people will say to me say like you're really different in person than you're on twitter like um, you seem like a nice guy and kind of um friendly on twitter you seem like you're a bit of a dick and i'm like yeah i'm just like what it's got also i think it's maybe it's like a british thing like we we just fuck with people all the time we're always winding people up and so that's all i'm doing i'm like you post something, I'm like, right, how can I wind up pump? Selkis post something. I'm like, how can I wind up You're going to love this. Ready? Yeah. My whole theory on Twitter, and I've talked about this before, it's all characterizations. So think of it like the WWF, okay. like re wrestling in the US, yeah. right? Wrestling is fake. They mm -hmm. script it, right? There's going to be conspiracy theorists, by the way, who say wrestling's not fake, right? It's real. But they script these things. They go, they put on a show, and they entertain. Twitter is the same thing. There are the heroes, there are the villains, there's the tag team partners, there's, you know, all these different kind of characters on Twitter. Yeah. And if you ever stopped being snarky and, and kind of uh, facetious all the time, I would think you're, someone was wrong, right? <laughs> and, and and there's people who are super serious. And if they ever said a joke, we'd be like, oh my God, like, you know, what? Like people would just, you know, overheat. Part of it though is, uh, and I, I've actually never said this before, um, so if somebody, somebody, people ask me in private, who are the people I respect the most in, um, in the industry? And I always say you. Oh, wow. Thank you. And Marty Ben. Interesting. And here's why. 
it takes incredible courage every day to put this thing in your face and talk and have this moment in time, every idea you have, every thought you have, et cetera, to either be recorded or typed out and to put it out to the public and you will be judged by that for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Right. You're putting ideas on, on record every single day or every week or whatever it is. But here's the best part. There's a lot of people who do that and they're very inauthentic when they do it. Okay. Yeah. So they'll create a piece of content. They'll have 10 other people read it. Right. They'll get it all edited up and they'll put it out there and be like, oh, look how smart I am. Right. And I call it the intellectual Olympics. Mm -hmm. The long game that you're playing, that Marty's playing, that I'm playing is this is who I am. If you don't like it, to use a, a a British term, jog on. Jog on. <laughs> right? jog on. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like, I don't care if you don't like who I am, but this is who I am. Well, even this interview is risky because we're used to asking the questions and now we're talking to each other. I, like, it was even crossing my mind. This it's like people might think we're being obnoxious doing this, what we're doing. And like, it is risky every single day, but that's really cool. Um, there was a There was a long period. I really didn't want to like you, but I struggled it. I struggled it. I was like, because I, I like as nice as I tried I to be. I won him over. No, no, I wanted. I'm quite competitive, right? Okay, I'm really fun. I like to win, right? And like That's I say, why I like you, Ben. Well, this Ferrari comes up behind me of pomp, and like you put out this show, and you're like fifty thousand dollars. I'm like, for fuck's sake, I've worked so hard, and here he comes. But like every interaction I've had with you has has been nothing but great. And I'm like, I'm I'm one of your fans, and I'm whenever people like dog on you, I'm like. No, no, you've got you've got to see. He's find me, find me, where Pomp's ever addicted to someone like rude. So this is the key. This is my whole belief on communication in general. Yeah, is because I'm a dick to people all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, so I'm I'm a dick. But here's the two key, the, the two secrets to when I am rude or I kind of lash back at people. Uh -huh. I always include. Smiley face or an emoji, <laughs> because it's kind of it's kind of like a British accent, right? You can't fight Somebody with that. can basically tell you "fuck off," and if they say it in British accent, you're like, "Oh, what a nice guy!" Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so like smiley face and emojis are are, are are your best friend on the internet. And then the other thing is, I am so overly, um, I think, or I try to be kind and uh, open. And I mean, look, I, the, the example I always give people is. I got 190,000 followers. My direct messages are open. Mm. People can DM me whenever they want, right? Mo most people who put themselves out there actually have their DMs open. Mm -hmm. And I respond to as many people as I can. Can't get them yep. all. But I try to do it as much. Somebody calls you and they say, hey, I'm trying to start a podcast. You jump on. There's no benefit to you doing that yep. personally, except for the long game. Right? Well, someone did it for me though, right? Exactly. I told you before we yep. started, like Rich yep. Roll, a good friend of mine, I reached out to him. I said, like, I'm going to do a podcast. What do I do? And he's like, all this. Here's what you do. Yeah. And like, He's busy. Like he gets like a hundred thousand downloads an episode, right? He's busy and he did it for me. So anyone wants to do it, I'm like, like anyone now listening, you want to do it? I'll, I'll tell you everything I know. There's no secret. Like I'm competitive in that I want to kind of win, but I, I still see us all on the same side. Do you see what I mean? Of course. Like that's why I promote everyone else. Well, and, and it's also a thing where um, you could sit and you know you could argue with people and, and do all this stuff. You buy yourself some karma, I think, by being a good person, right? And what I mean by that is um, there are very few times, but but I've definitely done it. Everyone's done it. Where just somebody says something so outlandish, you're just like, really? Right? You just – that's seriously like your argument or that's what you're going to come out of the blue, out of nowhere, whatever. And in those times when you basically say, okay, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Like I'm serious and I'm going to actually say something. What you find is, again, people have context. 
They know your intentions. They think you're good hearted, right? Like you have all these things that are working towards you and people might not even agree with you. Like I, like my favorite direct messages I get on Twitter are people who say, I actually disagree with everything you say. I just want to say thanks though for putting in so much effort. Yeah. That's like, cool. I'm like, you know what? Kudos to you for having, you know, basically the, the wherewithal to, to kind of throw a jab at me, right? That you don't agree, mm. but also say thanks. Like, I really appreciate that. And I'm actually much more likely to respond to that person than the person who, you know, is like, I follow everything you do, but you know, and, and just, yeah, just like, I, I get it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Right. But like this person has an opinion. They recognize that it's different than mine, but they're not going to just like walk away and not engage at all. It's, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's very unique uh, when you get to talk to a lot of people every day, how you see some of these interactions and you're putting out public content. Yeah. You get some weird stuff though. The DMs are right. What's the weirdest DM you've ever gotten? Uh, boobs. <laughs> Dude, it was so embarrassing. Yeah, I'm lucky in that uh, I'm very public about my relationship with yeah. my girlfriend. And so I, I've avoided a lot of that. It just came in one day. She's yeah. messaging me and I was like, hi, how you doing? She's like, oh, do you want to like... Um, She's like, I see you're in LA a lot. Do you want to meet up sometimes? I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Because I've kind, of, I kind of got a, um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> in comes these boobs, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? There's ten people who oh. just signed up for pod to start podcast now. If they yeah. can. <laughs> no, but I was like, I was like, you, you, you shouldn't be sending stuff like this out like this. Yeah. Like, thank you, I really appreciate um, your boobs, but like, you shouldn't be sending this stuff out. And it was really, oh, it was so awkward. Um, that's the weirdest thing. But then. I just, I don't know, you get lots of people who, I know you get heartbreaking stories, but you just have to ignore them because you, you don't know what's truth or not. That's the, that's the worst part. Yeah. It's like, oh, like my whole family's dying and we haven't eaten in a year. Can you give me some Bitcoin? And you're just like, I don't even know if you're telling the truth. Oh, fuck, fuck. I'm losing now. There's a lot of swearing in this one. <laughs> By the way, do you know if you swear on your podcast and you don't warn about it, there are certain regions you don't get played in? Uh, so I did not know that, but I did know that you have to put the like explicit yeah. tag on it or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Laura told me that when uh, uh, see she she uh, she's been doing this way longer <laughs> she than is both such of a us. Pro. <laughs> um, she or uh, so when I learned about the explicit thing, I remembered uh, it made me think of remember uh, CDs mm -hmm. and they would come with the like parental advisory thing. Yeah. That was cool, right? You wanted to get the parental advisory because it had all the curse words, all yeah, that yeah. stuff. And I remember thinking in the first episode we were going to release and we had to put the explicit thing. I was like, actually, this is like kind of business related. I don't know if we want parental advisory or explicit on this. Um, but but I real, I think in my opinion, nobody actually cares, right? Nobody does anything. They don't not listen because no. of it or whatever. Ken Bozakson. Do you know Ken? Uh, I've never met him, <laughs> but legend oh in the God. sense of uh, – he has sent me information. He's introduced me to people. Uh, he's been like, hey, you should go check this out. And then uh, I recently saw that he bought one of the uh, the Short the Bankers t-shirts. He was wearing it around. He made a gif out of it. And, and just I enjoy people who are enthusiastic about the things that they do on a daily basis. And he is like the epitome of that. So we, our birthdays are a day apart. Ah. I met him in Vegas. I went okay. to, So when I turned 40... I didn't want to have a party with my friends and stuff because I'm divorced. I didn't want to have all this weird couple, non-couple. Yep, yep, yep. So I was like, I went out for a couple of beers with my friends and said, I'm not having anything. I went out to Vegas instead. <laughs> went out to dinner with a whole bunch of people. Yep. Uh, like Luke. Luke came. Yep, and, yeah, um, yeah. And like, Luke Martin. Yeah, Luke Martin. But a whole bunch of like different uh, people that you would know from that world. And we went out to dinner. It was great. But somebody organized a birthday party for me and uh, Ken, which was where I met Cody. <laughs> okay. And... Um, 
and 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 I was at this conference, and the thing about Ken is like, he's like, he's like a famous person at these conferences. Like people are just like running up to because he's he dresses different, he looks cool, he's got like this cool girlfriend. People are like running up to him, but. The really interesting thing about him, he did an interview on the Crypto Street Pod. You know, you've been on that. Yep. Fucking four. Um, he lives entirely. I can't even I say can, it. Entirely off yeah. of all. Yeah, he lives. Wow. He, yeah, and you know, he he hustles it. I mean, he's a great guy. Thanks for listening so far to this recording. As I mentioned in the beginning, this was a two and a half hour recording that Peter and I did. You've now finished part one. And to listen to the remainder of the conversation, please go to the What Bitcoin Did podcast to listen to part two. Thanks so much and see you over there. Hey everyone, Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.